Welcome back to the When Coaching Goes Wrong podcast with me, the contact coach, Craig Wilson. Today I'm joined by Richie Williams, the director of rugby at Cambridge, who are a championship team in England. He has coached many different types of teams from England counties through to club and national teams in Belgium. Now this expansive career means he has bags of wisdom to share with us. And I particularly enjoyed our chat around what defines success at Cambridge Rugby Club who have been promoted to the second tier of English rugby and are now competing as an amateur team versus professionals. It's just so insightful about what defines success from going from winning seasons to really finding it much harder to get results. And Richie says some really cool stuff around how he maintains his KPIs, his metrics to define success. So I know you're going to like this one. Richie is a brilliant guest. So settle in and enjoy the show. Richie, how are you going, mate? Yeah, really good. Thanks, Craig. Good to good to finally connect and catch up. Yeah, I've been following you for a long time, so I'm super excited for this one. Um, but just set the scene for us. Where where are you? What are you up to? Yeah, so currently based in the UK, based in Cambridge, um, and coaching head coach of Cambridge, who are in the the championship. We recently got promoted from. National one, we won the league last season. The club's gone into a centenary year this year, and it's the highest level that we've ever operated at. So, yeah, really exciting times for the club. Some obvious challenges of coming up into this league with some of the opposition that we're playing. But no, I'm really enjoying coaching at the minute, and fortunately working with a really talented and hardworking group of players. No, that's great, and I think we're going to dive into what you do, what you're doing at Cambridge, um, late, a bit later in the show. But just tell us like a bit of your background from from playing, how you transitioned to coaching, and and what that looked like. Yeah, I think it's it's certainly been a a non-linear route to where I'm at at the moment. I grew up in Wales, and as is with a lot of people growing up in Wales, you're you're exposed to to rugby from an early age. Got some really fond memories of going to watch Neath play on a Saturday. Uh, my dad and myself had season tickets there from when I was about, I think, five or six years of age. So it was always part of my upbringing, watching rugby and playing rugby. I then studied in Wales, did a teacher training degree and was was playing semi-professional rugby alongside that. Uh, I was lucky enough to represent Wales students in my final year at university. So we had a, a really tough game against England students back in, I think it would have been 1999 or 2000, a long, long time ago. And then I got offered a job in Oxfordshire in a sports college to, to start my teaching career. And I was always really interested in in coaching alongside teaching and playing. It, it's something that I think watching Neath from a, from a young age and, and probably watching things like the British Lions documentary, I was always fascinated by um, how some teams are more successful than others. So I, I was really intrigued around the difference that coaches could make to a team, what things some coaches were doing that others weren't doing. And I think probably one of my my early memories was around that that Lions documentary that everybody has probably watched that likes rugby and someone like Ian McGeehan and Jim Telfer um, looking at how they sort of delivered messages to players, how they really focused on developing environments and, and creating a really strong culture. And, and that's something that I think I've been able to sort of refine over over my career of, of coaching and teaching. My journey then took me across to Belgium. So I, I coached over in Antwerp for two years. And that was something that was, was really interesting for me to be able to experience, one, a, a different culture. Uh, rugby wasn't a mainstream sport in Belgium. It, it sits well below football and corfball and many other sports. But what I learned very quickly from my time in Belgium was something that worked in the UK didn't didn't necessarily work in Belgium. And I think I had to probably appreciate their culture a little bit quicker than what I did. And I think what what I was able to do in my two years there was to build a um, a really successful group of players that that cared about Antwerp and cared for what they were doing. And that that was a really useful lesson that has, has put me in good stead now for where I'm coaching. I also worked with the Belgian women's sevens team. So that was another, a really good process. Um, certainly improved my communication skills, um, my player management, the importance and significance of doing that. And then I moved back to the UK. I got a role with England Counties under 20s, which I held for five or six seasons and we got to tour places like Georgia, Russia 
we went to the Netherlands, we went to Hungary, um, and, and all of those were great experiences of working with players that probably weren't quite good enough to play at Premiership clubs. A lot of the players were, were new into rugby or had been released by Premiership clubs, but I think the common theme in those five years was all of those players at that age were really aspirational. They wanted to become high-level rugby players. We were there really to support them in their development and their growth. And we tried to make it a really positive experience for them. We, we brought together a group of players. We had a short amount of time. So it was so important to be really precise and really clear around you know, how we wanted to play, what the game model wanted to look like. But equally, giving them a positive experience of touring somewhere like Georgia for 10 days going to somewhere like Budapest in Hungary. So they've all been wonderful experiences. And I think throughout my my coaching career and playing career, I've, I've become accustomed to to not only winning games, but losing games as well. And, you know, probably more more losses than wins of late. And, and that really stimulated my thought process around, you know, what success looks like, um, how we probably redesign, redefine success. Um, and how we maintain that really strong, that really strong team ethos and team spirit. So, yeah, it's been a, a bit of a diverse journey for me so far. But I think where I'm at at the moment has been a, a culmination of all of those sort of different experiences of coaching in Belgium, doing a lot of work over in Hungary as a, as a consultant, coaching throughout the national leagues, working in schools, and you know, as as you know, I think those varied experiences allow you to to really shape your coaching philosophy and, and figure out what, what means a lot to you, what your values are, and more importantly, how teams can be successful. Oh, that brilliant. And there's so, there's so much in there already. And what, what resonated with me is that coaching in many different environments. And I look, I'm biased because that's what I did, uh, whether I knew it or not, that's the path that I went down, but just coaching in different environments, terms of different countries different uh age groups men women uh kids adults is just such a a grounding for a coach and i would encourage that massively and i also smile when you talk about belgium because one of my uh one of my caps what i got for hong kong was against belgium actually um hong kong played belgium in dubai so so figure that one out but um it was uh really good to play against and they're a big bunch of tough guys actually they really were and uh yeah, I'd love to know more about your time in Belgium because you mentioned that you there was a few learning lessons there. Because um, that might was that your first kind of real um, experience coaching outside of what you, you used to in the UK. Yeah, so in the UK, I was very much still playing and and coaching at the community level, and then moving across to Belgium, it became a, a full time role working at at Antwerp and then working with the the federation in Belgium. And I think that the key thing from those early experiences was um, not trying to bring too much detail to the players and almost expecting that they'd, they'd know a style of rugby or, you know, or, or know what I was really looking for as a coach. And I think once I realised that, that that wasn't the case, that their, their lack of understanding around um, how we wanted the game to look, uh, you know, we suffered, I think, the first four games of that season we lost. And then there was a, a eureka moment in training where, I spoke to one of the senior players and he, you know, he, he said to me that, look, we probably have to tone things down a little bit. The level of understanding, the disparity between some of the older players and the younger players was really vast. And I think that that message landed and, and stuck really quickly. And we, we brought things back to basics. I focused more on trying to generate a really team, a positive team spirit and put a lot of emphasis and a lot of time in, you know, in those connections, player to player, player to coach. Um, and the, the success then followed off the back of that. We won more games. We were then able to to layer on a little bit more detail to the players, and it was a very young group. A lot of the players that I coached at the, the under-18s level at the coach then transitioned into senior rugby, and there was that natural progression, a natural transition between the two, and it was a really tough decision to leave Belgium. I think we got to a level where we were runners up in the in the Belgium league. I was having a really good experience coaching the the women's sevens team that were uh, operating. They they got into the top European level, playing against France, England, some of the top teams. So it was a really good experience. But I felt that I wanted to come back to the UK to to challenge myself at a at a national league league club there and and really put into practice some of those things that I learned in Belgium. I guess. 
what I heard there, it was a it was a senior player who helped mm. who came over to you and mentioned that. Now, was that was that deliberate on your part? Do you think that came from them? Obviously, it was a cool learning moment about utilizing the people in your environment. Was it? I'm not saying you were you didn't seek out that advice, but was that that eureka moment? Where did that kind of come from? Good question. I I, I think now I really value. Um, players players taking ownership of, of a lot of what they're doing and I've used a, a leadership group player leadership group for the last five or six seasons and, and that's been really successful but I think subconsciously before that moment in Belgium I always felt I had a good relationship with the players and was really comfortable with players giving me feedback but I, I think I didn't I didn't give enough attention to that before that conversation happened I think there was always a a reliance because I was coming from the UK. I'd had some probably more experiences than a lot of the players. I felt that I had to come in and make all of the decisions and you know be, be a little bit more direct than I probably would be in the UK with, with my coaching. But the moment that the senior player had that conversation with me, that that probably then reinforced what, what I probably should be doing. And that that was leaning on those players a little bit more in trusting those in in driving some of the values and the behaviours of the group. And I think what happened then off the back of that were there were another two or three senior players that felt, you know, a real part of that environment and that culture. They were then able to shape a lot of the game model that we we put into place. And it was definitely more of a collaboration than probably what it was in that first month of being there. So that that was really interesting. And to, to be perfectly honest, I don't think that would have happened if we'd won those first four games. So immediately there, you, you start to think that you know losing games, as long as you frame things in the right way, as long as you're reflective after a loss and you, you have those conversations and you're open to having those conversations, I think some really powerful lessons can emerge from it. Oh, I love that. And it's, yeah, winning can often be, winning or losing can often be a poor barometer of where your environment is at. Either way, yeah, winning... On the outside, everything looked like it's going rosy, but it, it's something might be coming around the corner that you might have a blind spot to if your results focused. Likewise, if the losses have been mounting up, um, that's also not to say that you're running a bad environment. There might be some really good things around what are happening and around the corner. And and it resonates with me as well. Like coming over here to the US, um, I'm, I'm often coaching students, 18 to, to 22 who have got very very minimal experience like some have never played before and it was interesting if I look at how I coached the team eight years ago to how I coach the team now the collaboration are worlds apart like I I lean on the players so much because at the end of the day they're living it they're living the environment they're living what what uh, the environment is and getting their feedback is just so, so important just to keep a finger on the pulse that, yeah, things are going well or coach, have a think about this. And um, yeah, I can't I can't agree with you anymore about that use of collaboration. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting, Craig. And I think that that resonates a lot with me and that experience that I had would have been back in I think it was 2012 or 2013, a long time ago. It, it still still comes up in my coaching now. I've had a, a recent experience where Apologies, I'm jumping around a little bit here, but um, the 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 losses that we've had recently with Cambridge coming into the new league, I think there's a temptation when you're losing games to go back along that coaching continuum and, and be more direct and take decisions away from other coaches and players. Whereas actually, you've you've still got to trust that process, as you referenced there. The players are the ones that are living these things on the weekend, so I, I think you've got to be brave sometimes with your decisions. And that there's a temptation and a risk of when you're losing games, you want to be the sole person that's in control of all of the decisions. Whereas the risk of doing that, you erode away a lot of what you've built in previous seasons around giving players responsibility, making them in charge of a lot of their learning. So it's 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 a constant battle. But I think you've, you've got to try and maintain that balance irrespective of, of what the outcome of games are like. And And collaboration doesn't just mean everyone's in agreement all the time. And in fact, it's actually quite the opposite. But what it is, I feel it should be, is a, a respectful conversation that everyone's heard and then alignment is gained from there on whatever direction is is chosen. And eventually someone's got to make a call and it's probably going to be the head coach. But 
people need to be listened to, particularly in this day and age. People need to be listened to. And if there's if there's communication there and the collaboration, that doesn't mean there's always agreement, but there's alignment. And I think that's a really powerful thing. Yeah, 100%. And again, you're probably noticing this every day when you're coaching um, in your environment. I think there's a, there's a clear and distinct difference between uh, coaching now to what it was like 10 years ago. And I think the age profile of a lot of our younger players who've been exposed to premiership academies, they've been in rugby playing schools, they, they want a lot more information a lot quicker. Um, they want to be part of that sort of learning process. So it's a, it's a really sensitive one, how you manage that whole process. And as you've said, their collaboration is key to have that sort of alignment around what you're doing for everybody to be completely clear around what the expectations are that you've got to follow and, and being comfortable having difficult conversations as well. That That's something that probably resonates with me at the moment. You, you've got to be prepared to have difficult conversations with players if it means that being the, for the benefit of the, the sort of wider group. So there's, there's all these different things that are probably more magnified when you're losing games and going through those those sort of tough experiences. But, you know, I'm quite a reflective person. And when I lose games or when I win games, I'll, I'll look inwardly at myself first around how I feel I've prepared the team in the week. You know, but I'll also try and look at the bigger picture stuff as well around what my conversations were like with the players in the week what their conversations were like to the other players so it, it, it's a it, it's, it's a big field isn't it and I think you you can be quite forensic sometimes with your analysis of games particularly when you lose but I think essentially if you pick out some things that you can improve on moving forwards to try and avoid making those same mistakes again then that becomes a really healthy thing to do. Uh, really interesting what you just mentioned there about being really forensic and that tends to rear its head when things aren't going well and on a previous podcast uh with Chris Davies he he mentioned that as well when things weren't going well it was almost like diving into the analysis because it's like right this is what we're going to fix and this is how we're going to fix it um and it's not always that transactional um it can be it could be actually stuff away from the field which is p- potentially affecting performance and yeah it's just yeah losing sometimes and it can people just dive into like try and really dive into it instead of having that bigger lens and and maybe seeking other people's input too yeah no I, absolutely that and i think there's um there's a a, a tendency now to you i'm say maybe overuse analysis if things aren't going well you will focus as you said on the minute detail of of what's not what what's not going particularly well but something that has been really successful for us over the last probably 12 months is the players taking ownership of a lot of their learnings in games and being part of that analysis um review after games and part of that preview process and it's taken a long time to get to that level where players are comfortable challenging other players if they see something in an individual's performance that probably doesn't relate to what we've been working on in the week. If there's not that clear transfer from some of the themes that we've been working on, players are now really comfortable to have those difficult conversations between you know between themselves, which I think is a a really positive place to be at. And I'd question if that would have happened if we wouldn't have had all those losses at the start of the season. We've tried to, you know, create this environment where players are comfortable, coaches are comfortable having conversations as long as they're done in a respectful manner. And I think that that's the key for all of this. I think you, you can have those difficult conversations if there's that level of mutual respect, if there's an agreed action after you've had that conversation. And once again, if those conversations make the team better moving forward. So it's, uh, yeah, it, it's an evolving process. And I think I'm, I'm starting to see things now that I've probably never seen in my my coaching career to date. And a lot of that has been forged because of the, you know, those difficult experiences of losing a long run of games. When you mentioned there how some peer-to-peer coaching, particularly around the analysis piece, and I, I remember vividly, and this is something I'm constantly working on because I'm I'm big on analysis. Like, I love it. Um, that's the thing I really like getting stuck into. Uh, but... For the same reason, I really encourage the players to analyze their film as well. And I remember in a team meeting, uh, when the players are presenting, 
and it was a million miles away from what I would thought was like a key barometer of success. And I'm I'm sitting at the back of a room, like biting my tongue, like I shouldn't say anything. I shouldn't say anything. I want to say something. But the, the greater good wasn't necessarily what they were saying. It's the fact yeah. that they were saying it to each other. And then you can start to refine the conversation around, are oh, we think about this or think about that or, or even let it go. But I I had a massive moment where I was struggling to not interrupt or or add or put my input on it because uh, it would have taken away from actually the goal I was trying to achieve. And that was communication amongst players. Oh, no, 100% agree on that, Craig. And, and it's still a, it's still a constant battle on a, on a Sunday evening after a game on a Saturday, all of the players uh, are encouraged to, to watch the game, to um, highlight particular areas of their performance and the team performance. And, and they do that on the huddle platform and, and every week you, you you're questioning whether you need to ring up that player to you know to, to try and get them to go into a little bit more detail but we've got everybody on the same page you know everybody is doing this there, there was a, a quite a slow buy-in initially not every player was 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 doing this to um or probably not understanding what the benefits of doing this would be and then fast forward a few months everybody is now on the same page they understand the benefits of doing this, being in the semi-professional environment. I think a lot of the the stuff that we can do before a training on a Monday, Tuesday, Thursday um, alleviates the pressures of when they do turn up. So they understand the process of trying to get their analysis done before a training session. But I think the, the, the really powerful thing for me now is that players are starting to have those conversations with other players around how they can get better how that will improve performance and, and it's done in a really constructive way which is really encouraging yeah great and before we we jump into your environment you're in now do you remember your first ever rugby session you coached or in the first few weeks a few few moments what what was that what was that like yeah going that's that's going back a long time I think I my first session was when I was at university I was on a um teaching practice at a secondary school. I remember delivering a, an after-school rugby club. And I think I, I did a carbon copy training session of what I'd had on the Tuesday when I was playing, but then quickly realised that what worked for, for my coach, who was coaching the training session for me, didn't necessarily work for me when I was delivering. And I, I almost tried to morph myself into his, his personality. He had certain character traits that, that I really liked, but then... I quickly realised that 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 wasn't me. I wasn't being sort of authentic to myself. So that that was a that was a big moment. I think I'd, I'd, I'd written down my session plan. I was I followed my session plan meticulously, minute by minute. But after that session, on reflection, I, I you know I I thought that that wasn't me. I've just copied that session from somebody else. There probably weren't any moments in that training session where I'd actually observed what was going on with an individual player. So I wasn't able to wasn't able to. Um, identify any faults or, or correct anything because I was so um, probably concerned and nervous about just following this session plan and being really structured. So, yeah, that that um, that was a long time ago. I'd I'd like to think I've evolved since then and, and improved my coaching. But I think that that was a really useful starting point, knowing what wouldn't work if I was serious about becoming a coach. Trying to be somebody else definitely wasn't the way forward. Oh, I reflect. I reflect back on my my first session or first few sessions, and oh man, I was I was like a little dictator. You know, I was desperate to tell everyone how much knowledge I knew. <laughs> Bearing in mind on reflection, I knew very little. Again, I was rehashing rehashing what other people a session before me or rehashing a drill I'd saw online on the last minute Google to to figure out how am I going to keep people entertained for the next 90 minutes. And, and these are experiences what are worth going through, but I know there's people listening who are on the very early part of their coaching journey. And one word that stuck out to me there, what you mentioned is just your authenticity to, to yourself, like be yourself. Obviously you've got to be prepared to be planned and, and have the ability to maneuver through a session. And that comes with time, but at the very, very start of it, be yourself because it's hard to keep a mask on for a long time. Yeah, definitely. And I think something that rings true and has been a, one of the main drivers for me when I'm coaching is I'm, I'm doing something that I love doing. And I've clearly 
got passion around you know rugby and the sport and and helping others develop and i think that was true from that first session where it was probably a little bit uncomfortable delivering that to where i'm at now i think i have refined my delivery and, and that's come through experiences of coaching different age groups going to go to different countries working in different environments but i think the thing that's that's run true throughout that coaching journey is that i'm doing something that i'm love i love and i'm passionate about and i think as, as long as you can reflect that in what you're doing and um you know be authentic as we said in, in the delivery then i think other people will will sort of feed off that and hopefully develop as a result as well and as you progress through, you're usually coaching on your own, but eventually as a head coach, you either inherit or you bring along a coaching team with you. Um, how do you how do you build your own coaching team and how do you work with with your assistant coaches to to maximize them in the environment? And or has there been a development in your own practice um in doing so? Yeah, no, I think there's this there's one memory that that, that jumps out there talking about coaching teams and inheriting coaching teams and my first year in my role at, at Cambridge so back in 2017-2018 I I was my first year coaching at the club we were a national one uh, the club were were probably a bottom of the half table team but very sort of historical rugby club runs a very strong mini and junior section uh, very good community club but I, I'd inherited a, a team probably an agent team and quite a, a large coaching group as well. What I felt was the right thing at the time was was to see if I could improve the team, see if I could work with the, the current coaching team that were there. The head coach had moved on the previous season. There was still two assistant coaches. There was a, a player coach as well. And then I came in. So I think there were four, maybe five coaches in total, which, which was quite heavy for the level that we were playing at. And what I quickly learned probably halfway through that season was that the the relationship between the coaches everybody had a, a, a different outlook on coaching everybody didn't share the same philosophy would all come from different backgrounds which wasn't necessarily the problem but we weren't aligned in our thinking and what was quickly happening was that one message that I was given in a um, in a team session would be completely different to what the forwards coach was saying would be completely different to what the defense coach was saying and you know, players are pretty perceptive. Players, you know, players realise quite quickly what the what the coaches are saying, and if there's not much alignment between them. So we fortunately survived relegation that season. We won our last game, and we think we relied on two other two other games going in our favour. But we yeah, we stayed up in National One that season, and and I then changed the coaching team. So I brought in uh two guys to, to support me that, that I'd worked with before that I knew shared the same philosophy as myself but more importantly who I knew could develop the players we, we'd we'd just lowered the age profile of the group we'd identified some leaders from that really difficult season and that that second season our results slowly started to improve but there was there was more alignment between the coaches and the players there was a lot more direction around what we wanted to do for that season, for the next two or three years. And I think three years later, we ended up winning National One and got ourselves to the level we're at now. But that that first season was the was the big moment for me, making, probably making some mistakes and making some errors. Um, but ultimately, those mistakes and those errors, again, whilst I didn't realise at the time how useful they would be, they've allowed the team and the club to grow on and off the field and, and get us to the highest level that they've ever been at. So with managing the, the initial coaching team that you inherited when you joined, uh, how it sounded like you you brought in new coaches at that the second season you were with them. You must have had trust of the board and the and the club to be able to to make those decisions. Did you know that was gonna come or was it an off-season decision or was it just how did that develop? Because that again, that's such an important part of a coach's life is how actually not managing the players it's also managing the the staff around you and then managing up to the to the board the chair people and and people who make decisions at a higher level yeah I, I think the the coaches first we had a conversation as a coaching group probably two-thirds of the way through the season around moving forwards this is what the coaching group is going to look like next season I had some really challenging conversations with 
two coaches that had been at the club a long time. Um, you know, one had played over 150 games for the club, so that that was very difficult. But I made sure that I was I was honest in that that conversation. Um, I'd sort of explained around some of the failings that I felt that we'd had this season around how we weren't aligned as a coaching team. And whilst it was difficult, I, th- I think we did it with a level of sort of sincerity and, and empathy, which is really important. And then I, I, I tried to manage that process throughout the season with the board and managing upwards. I think that that's something that I learned in that first year about the significance of having that regular dialogue, that regular conversation with the board and um, explaining probably some of the hardships that, that I was experiencing you know, from a coaching perspective and how that was reflecting ultimately on the results that we were experiencing as a group. Um, unfortunately, we had a really supportive board in place that um, were prepared to, you know, to keep me for for another season to see if things could could change around. And fortunately, things changed pretty quickly in that second season. And and every year we moved from a, a team that finished third from bottom. The season after that, I think we finished tenth over sixteenth. And the season after that, we finished fourth. And then we won we won the league last season. So yeah, there's been a real sort of growth in the group that we're working with, the coaching team have, have evolved and um, and grown over time as well. But I think from where we were five years ago in that really difficult first season, um, I think things have accelerated at a really sort of steady rate. And how would you encourage coaches who are currently in that situation now where there might not be alignment amongst the coaching group or there might be different voices saying different things at different times? Um, what advice would you give for those in the moment right now to uh, to try and potentially overcome that and and try and move on from it? Yeah, I think the first thing is to have open conversations between coaches, and that's the most important thing. Still surprises me going into other sort of clubs and other environments where coaches don't have that honest dialogue between themselves, and and sometimes there's a clear blind spot around what one coach is seeing to what another coach is, is is not seeing. So I think if you're having those regular conversations as a coaching group, you, you're talking about things that are going well. You're also talking about areas that aren't particularly working very well. Like until you can have those conversations, you're making things very, very difficult for yourselves. The more often you have those dialogues as well, the, 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 the easier things become. And so, something that we've done the last two years, we, we try to try to connect as much as possible away from rugby as well, which I think is really important. I think when you go back to your playing days, a lot of the the good relationships that you build player to player are done away from the training pitch and are done away from the, the games on Saturdays. And I think that's true for, for coaches and a management group as well. I think you've got to be prepared to to get to know each other away from rugby to see if you've got, um, you know, got those common interests away from the sport and, if then things don't improve, you've built up a little bit of a relationship with someone, and those hard conversations are a little bit are a little bit easier to have. But I, I don't think there's any magic formula there. There's there's no right or wrong. But from my experiences, the earlier you have those conversations with other coaches, uh, the more you probably outline any fears that you've got. I think you, you at least then give yourself an opportunity to improve those and give those an opportunity to get better. No, wonderful advice, and and it was great to hear in the in the year after that once you got alignment with the coaching group that that reflected down onto the players, and and in such the environment improved, and inevitably the the results tend to improve as well. So if we look at Cambridge as it is today, so you're at the highest you've ever been. Uh, you're in the championship, which is the tier below the Premiership, so at extremely high level. Um, now it's interesting from a club Cambridge who have been on the up for the last under your leadership on the up and they still are on the up to when now results are not going your way. Now, this is really, really interesting. Like how do we define success of a club um, outside or, or inside with, with the results? Yeah. I think that that's, that's exactly where my headspace is at at the moment around managing I think my internal expectations of of myself and what I what I define as success and that that's that's definitely changed over the last twelve months. I think last last season we we won ninety percent of our games, so you you tend to look at things slightly different when you win into what you're losing. 
I think this season I, I've had to very quickly reframe what success looks like for me personally. And I think once I've come to terms with the fact that we've lost, I think we lost 12 games, 12 consecutive games, which, which again, I've never experienced before as a coach. I think midway through that that loss or that losing streak, we played uh, Bristol Bears on a on a Friday night at Ashton Gate, and that was in a, a Premiership Cup game at the start of the season. And uh, it was the last game before the Premiership was starting. So when the team sheets came out on the Thursday, we saw the the Bristol Bears squad, and it, it was um, yeah fully loaded, a lot of international players, and subconsciously you, you probably know how challenging it's going to be on the Friday night. Um, little did I know how difficult that was going to be. So we, we lost that game 98-14, which was, uh, I think, well, was my heaviest loss I've ever experienced as a coach. And I can remember sitting right at the back of the, the North Stand at Ashton Gate, just scratching my head and feeling helpless, not being able to help. It was a horrible sort of situation to be in. We'd kick off, uh, Bristol would catch the kickoff, go the length and score, and it, it was almost you know, repeat every few minutes. So that that was very, very difficult. And that was one of the longest journeys home that night. Um, got back home at about three o'clock in the morning, couldn't sleep, watched the game back. And I think that that following week, I then realised that actually, if we're going to continue on this losing streak, if we're not winning games, how can we redefine what success looks like for us as a group if it's not necessarily winning games? And then what we started to do was to, I think, hone down on our sort of values and our behaviours as a group, which have I believe have got us to this level. We've got a really, a really strong environment. Our group of players have good relationships amongst themselves. There's, there's a really, uh, really positive culture that we've created. So I thought, right, what ways can we, we sort of hone down on those things to bring those to life? So I think that 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 definitely helped things. But also, we then measured a lot of some of the key areas or key themes that we've been working on in the training week. And rather than just measuring what the outcome of the game was, we would actually focus on, um, you know, how many entries did we make into the opposition 22? Uh, what was the speed of our breakdown ball? Things along those lines. So we, we, we still, we we're still very process based and outcome based as well, but there were more tangible things for players to, to measure success on. And that, that, that really then allowed us to, take a little bit of pressure off the players both from inside of the club and externally around look the Cambridge have lost another game they've conceded 50 points whereas the, the the noise that we were given as a group was around look our our relationships are still really strong as a group we're improving we're, we're working on these particular areas of our game and then fast forward to the last game before Christmas we eventually won our, our first game against London Scottish so yeah that that was a byproduct of six months of, of some real hardships as a as a playing group, definitely as a coaching group. I don't think I've ever had as many conversations with the coaching team as I've had in those six months. But I think definitely on reflection, the fact that everybody kept turning up on a Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, everybody stuck to what they were doing, that culmination of those actions have now got us to a really competitive level at this league. And I can just... I can just see you now sitting in the stadium at Bristol after that after that defeat. Now, obviously, you sense it was going to be a tough day, and and I was listening to you uh, when you said on reflection, like it was like right, we need to this this might not be uncommon, as in getting the defeats in a row. So it's this is the perfect example for this podcast when coaching goes wrong because you can sit there, you're feeling the weight. There's a big old scoreline which you're not used to before. However, that has provided you with the best opportunity to kind of rewrite your own script. Yeah, and, and you're always, I think as a as a coach or a head coach, you're always in charge of the narrative that you give to your players and the media and the, and the board. So I think if you can come across as, as being positive on the outside and you can you can pick out areas that have worked well and you're able to articulate those to people, I think that that definitely helps, and, and it took me midway through that losing run to realise that you know we'd lost six or seven games. I was probably still dwelling on those losses and not and not failing fast. Whereas now, if we lose a game, 
we've lost that game. We'll review, we'll analyse, we'll pick some things out, and we'll go again the following week. And we we tend not to to probably dwell and let those losses manifest themselves because that that was part of the problem I think early on because we were so um, unfamiliar with losing so many games. Uh, we, we probably spent too long then reviewing those games to the detriment of what was going to happen moving forwards. So that was that was really really useful for me to to probably reframe those losses and actually still look forwards. There was even in that ninety eight fourteen loss, there was still some really good things to take from that game that we've been working on in training that we transferred against you know one of the best teams in the Premiership. So it it does require a lot of work. It does require a, a shift in mindset. Um, you've, you've got to have that sort of growth mindset around what you're doing. But for me, that the key thing around all of this was maintaining that level of authenticity, being open and honest with players, um, but giving players that narrative around, look, this. yes, whilst we've lost this game, things will get better, things will get easier because we've never experienced these things before. We've never, ever played at this level. So, yeah, I, I think personally I, I've... I've come to terms with things a lot quicker now than what I did at the start of the season. And I'm pretty confident to think that if you spoke to any of the players as well, they they probably share that those same sentiments as well. I found when just watching the faces of the of the players, once we've had a tough defeat, which either a game we should have won or a game where we just weren't even close to uh getting getting that win, when you show them in the review the stuff you did well. It's amazing because they're they're kind of all filter in, thinking, "Oh, here we go. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna get it today. The coach is gonna uh, unleash on us." And but actually, show you right. Obviously, was areas where we would like to improve. But when you have those measurables that you mentioned, whatever it might be, you mentioned entries into the twenty-two, ruck speed, or it could be tackle completion or kick percentage, whatever it could be. Soon as you have smaller, tangible things to nail, and you mentioned this. You really, you've always got something positive to review, as yeah, opposed you... to the final scoreline. You know that's that's the big one. And when you show them, look, this is we got into the entry, we entered the twenty-two three times. Okay, we didn't convert seven, but then what could we do to increase our conversion rate? And you're just putting that positive spin on it. Yeah, I think we can be guilty as as coaches of overcomplicating things, both in the training week, but also when we're doing our you know our reviews of games and previews. So. You know, I'm a firm believer that if we can keep things simple, if we can reinforce some key messages during the week, and if we can then reflect on those post-game, good or bad, then then that makes that whole process a lot easier. And I, and I think the big thing for us was, in addition to um, highlighting skill execution errors as an example, we, we really honed down on a lot of the behaviours, the good behaviours that we were seeing on the field. So how fast players were, were getting back to their feet post-tackle, um, how much players were celebrating post try the, the little things that we built a lot of our success on. We were we were starting to focus on those things in training, focusing on those those things um, in the game as well. And got a really nice example of that game that we won against London Scottish. We were uh, we were trailing by I think it was by six points, and we were we were defending on our own try line, and we've gone the length of the pitch and scored a try in the corner and. Our kicker has stepped up and, and kicked the conversion to win the game. But I think that the panoramic um, view of that game um, really shows some really good qualities about the group. We, we've got a number of players that are on loan to us from Premiership clubs, and we had two players from Bath that have been with us for for two or three games. And the expectation of anyone coming in is that they become as invested as they can be in the group, you know, on an emotional level. And I, and I know that's difficult with with players coming in that have not been part of the journey that we've been on. But once that conversion went over from the touchline, one of the Bath players that had come off with a leg injury was the first one to sprint on that pitch to congratulate the player. And, you know, if you sometimes need reinforcement around, you know, the environment that you, you, you're trying to create and grow, then that example was fantastic for me just to see the, you know, the joy and the elation on that player who was new to the club, to see how much it meant to the other players, understanding some of the, you know, the challenges that we'd experienced at the start of the season. That was a really sort of good moment to observe. Oh, I love that. And they're, they're the tangible things as well that you can, 
on the analysis as well. Forget looking at maybe the line break, what led to it or whatever. Like just you, you could highlight that player coming on the field because that's and anyone can do that, right? That's that's a mindset. That's an effort thing. Well, no, maybe not everyone can do it. That's but that's what you've built into your environment, and that's what you highlight. And when people see it, they can they can replicate it and they go, ah, oh, okay, that's what it looks like. Yeah, no, absolutely, and it's it's, it's powerful if if you you're able to draw out those things from training and matches and talk about them. I think that that then throws those good behaviours, and it's something that you can you can reinforce them moving forwards. Yeah, one of our most important award is like the uh, just the effort award. You know what I mean? Like someone who's just put in a real good shift, uh, regardless of, of what's happened. And it could be speed off the floor. It could be three tackles in a row and a turnover, or three tackles and a and a line break. Whatever it is, just really highlighting those things, and that could be achieved by everyone. Yeah, it, it can, and I think as long as there's that relevance around what your you know what you're promoting, what your values are as a group, what your behaviours are. I think the more of those that you can reinforce from a game and pull out those good examples, the, the, the stronger that environment becomes. I remember, vividly remember, we were a similar thing. It was, uh, we were getting real beat up um, on the road. It was like 50-odd nil at halftime or whatever. And the opposition, they went into their changing rooms. We just stayed out in the field. <laughs> we were like, forget, there's no point going in the changing room. Let's just get in a huddle. And it, it was classic. And instead of talking about the game, and I don't know where this came from because it was not it was not deliberate, but it was one of the most profound coaching moments I've ever had. We're in the huddle. And I asked the question, I was like, like what does what does Yale rugby mean to you? Just to, and I, I I knew a senior player who would who would give an answer, um, and he, he talked about it. And then he goes, oh, and he just kind of gave it to someone else. He goes, what does it mean to you? And why are you here? And that in the huddle, we started again to some deep stuff. It was like, look, I've I've just had a family death, and the reason what's got me through is is Yale rugby. And like tears are all starting to like come down people's eyes and I'm, we're in the huddle I was like I didn't expect this like we're all literally crying like in the huddle um and then the opposition run out and it was classic they were wearing black they ran out of their clubhouse like the classic Bond villains you know what I mean like oh here we go uh we're all in the huddle crying like what is going on here and we went out and you just you, even in the huddle and I can feel it now everyone was getting tighter and tighter and tighter and it was so amazing to be part of now the next forty-eight minutes of, of the next thirty-eight minutes of that half, it was the same in terms of uh, the result. They ran up try after try. But what happened um, in our own twenty-two? We got a turnover scrum, got the ball out wide, and we scored under the post. And I think it was like a hundred to five at that point. We got the conversion one hundred seven, and we celebrated like we won the World Cup. And they were looking at us, going, "What is what is going on with you guys?" But we know the moment we just had and how we were never going to give up. And and then that moment where we scored and that bus journey home was like a four hour journey home was one of the best moments we've ever had because the connection of the group grew so much more because we just highlighted something beyond the result. And it was our what we highlighted there was the um, what what it meant to be in this huddle, regardless of a result. And I just thought I'd share it because it was just such a, a profound moment way away from any X's and O's I could have taught. Well, that's that's golden, isn't it? And that's such a such a natural process. That's that's not manufactured. I think that that's that's something that those players that were involved there will reflect upon as well in years to come. And, that, and that's that's the big thing, right? We're coaching, and and something that I'm quickly learning is that it's it's not all about the outcome of games. It's not all you know all about winning those first games. I think players will remember moments of the week you know moments the bus trip coming back some of those conversations that they've had and I think we we sometimes forget about that as coaches and neglect those moments we're very focused on you know results of of, of what we want from each match but I think certainly speaking from an ex you know as an ex-player a lot of those really good memories that I've I've had have been on some of those little things that have happened in the training week something funny that's happened a deep conversation that you've had with someone and it's trying to create as many of those moments as you can and sort of harness those as well. And the, and the players do do talk. And coming back to that example I mentioned there, because it was the end of the season. I think we went up with like 17 players or something. Like People were dropping off left, right and centre. End of the season. Everyone knew we were going to go up and get beat. Like everyone knew. But those guys who turned up, they kind of stuck with it. What was really interesting, the next Monday session was one of the biggest attendances we've ever had. And I never had a conversation with anyone, 
But what that told me is the players went away. They discussed or they whatever they did, they talked about their their experience they had away. And yeah. all of a sudden people were like, oh, I want to be, I want to be part of that because it was something bigger than themselves. It was, it was profound. And uh again, there was no strategy around, oh, I won't say anything here. They voted with their feet and then yeah. the player group got stronger. And that's where their ownership went through the roof because it was like, well, hang on, these these are the custodians of the of the group, right? In the environment, and I'm there to help facilitate and direct it. Uh, yeah, I love that. That's that's a really good example. And we, we've tried to do something similar and probably manufactured that that moment that you've explained there. It's a, li- a little bit false, but it, it worked nonetheless. So we we had a uh, a triple H that we used last season. I, I think um, one of the old England coaches did this, who's now working with a NRL club. Um, his name, he's working at Manly. His name, can't I can't get, can't think. But anyway, so the triple H was every player had to stood up or stand up in front of the other players in a team meeting and talk about um, who his hero was in his life, what his hardship was, and what his particular highlight was. So it, it started off... Um, the confident players would go up first and we do two or three of these a week and it would be a you know five minute conversation and players would talk around most of them their highlight would be you know winning a game of rugby uh winning a league so it, it would be a result of a game so that that would have been the first two or three weeks and then very quickly we found that players were becoming a bit more open with each other so one of the players highlights was being at the birth of his son um, a hardship would have been a death in a family. A hero would have been, a, you know, a, a family member that is no longer with them. But it, it became really powerful, and the players um, started to see like the importance of standing up in front of the group, talking about some difficult experiences that they had, and they were then able to talk away from rugby. and And some of them were, had had shared experiences. Someone else had experienced a death in their family. So it, it became a real sort of cathartic experience. And, you know, we, we did it to start with just to get the players talking amongst themselves away from rugby. But it, it grew organically into something that, you know, we, we lean upon now. And I think a lot of the, the success around the environment has been built on knowing knowing each other away from rugby. So that has been great. And I think something that dovetails on from that, we've, we've got a lot of... Um, Antipodeans that play for us. We've got a couple of Aussies, a couple of Kiwis, um, and one of our Australians is a, is a guy called Ben Adams. Don't mind mentioning him, but he turned uh, he turned thirty two last season, and it was his thirtieth in COVID, so he hadn't seen his his parents back in Australia for maybe two or three years, and he's, he's a very family orientated man. Um, and I was just having a bit of a you know a, a down couple of weeks. Was was really missing missing his folks from back home. So what we managed to do was to was to fly his parents over to the UK, and it was an idea from one of the other players. Um, they contributed to the the cost of the flights, and we were in one of these team meetings, one of these Triple H team meetings on a Tuesday night. And um, as Ben Adams was talking at the front of the rest of the group, his parents walked in through the door in the team meeting, and we we got this on camera. Um, and just to see the the range of emotions that he went through, you know, he's not a very emotional guy, but he burst into tears. You know, his dad is a is a big Australian guy. He was emotional, and it, it's just little things like that. When we go back to, you know, saying that players remember certain things in their careers, I guarantee that that would be one of the key things that he remembers. So just little things like that that we you know we we constantly try and do um, to improve you know the, the the environment that we're working in, I guess. That is incredible. Not not only the Triple H, which I wrote down. I've never heard of that one before, which I've, I've written down and definitely going to use moving forward. But then the then that moment for the Ben, just when um, his parents come over and how that came from a player, and then the club organised it. That that will live with them, as you say, for forever and ever, long beyond lifting the national one championship, you know, or, or anything like that. It's just having having those experiences and actually having others experience it with you is uh, I think there's a really profound thing. So yeah, I absolutely love that example. Yeah, no, it's, it's and there's, there's other little ones there that we could probably reference, but yeah, Ben Adams, his parents were over to watch our first game actually that we won in the championship. So they were over to, to watch his hundredth game for the club, which, which came 
later than expected because he'd picked up an injury in that Bristol Bears game, I think. So he was due to play his 100th game in probably the end of October. So his parents had come back over from Australia to see that occasion. And um, he was injured, so they decided to stay in the UK for an extra month. And they saw that game against London Scottish that we won. So it's, yeah, there's little things that happen that, you know, we were able to draw upon. And, you know, we, we, we try to do as many of those little things as we can to, you know, to enhance what we're, we're doing on the field, I guess. Oh, that's that's excellent. Just testament to the environment you're building. And in terms of you as a coach and where you find your coach development, where where do you seek for those opportunities? I, diff, different things. I think I, I always always try to to develop sort of my my learnings by going into other environments, looking at other sports. Um, trying to pick up some sort of key messages from from sometimes outside of sport. You know, I, I use um, podcasts a lot. I have a about an hour commute into work every day, which I use as a a really good opportunity to to listen to things and try to sort of grow my sort of knowledge base there. I like to read, so I get a lot of my my knowledge from reading books, and you know, I, I try to suggest some books to, to players. And we've we've just read a really good. Uh, book as a as a group you may have heard of this it's called Ch- keep chopping wood from kevin de so it's a short read it's, it's only about 40 pages long but we bought three or four copies for the players for them to circulate around the playing group and there's a couple of really key messages that, that resonated with where we're at as a group around um the work that you do now so if you chop the wood now you're then able to burn the wood in a year's time when the wood has dried out so there, there's some really good messages that you know, we're able to to sort of talk about as a playing group. If we keep turning up now, if we keep doing the work now, we'll see the benefit in six months or twelve months' time. So, yeah, I guess a lot of my my knowledge and my growth is from reading and listening to things, and you know, having conversations like this and just being really open with people. And I think if you know, if you if you take away a couple of things each week around things that you can possibly bring into your environment and try and refine, but keep that level of authenticity, then I think that's so important for me to keep sort of growing as a as a coach and as a person as well. And it's interesting when I ask that question, it's very rare someone gives me a tactical or technical answer. It's really, really interesting. A lot of it is around around the environment, like the keep chopping word again. This is a resource I've not seen or heard of. So I'm gonna be certainly getting out. So even in even like that's why podcasts for me are so, so invaluable. Like in the last five minutes I've got keep chopping word and triple H, you know, that's that's something what I'm gonna to add to my my toolbox, you know, and that's why I find uh yeah, these forums really, really powerful. Yeah, and I think that's that's learning now, isn't it? I think people want things a lot quicker. There's that need um, to get information in a lot quicker than, than what it was maybe a decade ago. I think all the stuff on social media, the, the stuff that you do, the, the contact coach stuff, there's some brilliant stuff there that's available to everybody. And I think as long as you're open to go down some rabbit holes when you're looking for stuff, then there's some really transferable stuff across different sports as well. And in terms of your next steps, what does the rest of the season look like? Where are you in your season um, any goals you're you're willing to share with with the group about um, with the podcast about where you want to get to? Yeah, I, I think we're we're coming up to the halfway point of the season now. We we want to we want to carry on developing as a team. We want to win more games. That probably contradicts a lot of what we've just said over the last half an hour. But I think where we're at in terms of our growth as a team, we know that we're more competitive now at this level than we were in September at the start of the season. So we, we've targeted a couple of games that we we want to win between now and the end of the season. Another key thing for us is, is working with some of the younger players in our team to develop them as leaders. We've got a leadership group at the moment where the age profile, most of those guys are around about the 30, the 30 year old marks. So we want to try and lower that age profile and, and probably develop some of the younger guys that we've got in the group and, we, we've given them some some responsibility and given them some opportunities to to grow that aspect of of themselves as well. So I think on a personal level, we want to invest a little bit more time in in those younger players and to see how much we can develop those. So that that's another key thing that we want to work on. 
I think the, the final thing really is just to make sure that, that everybody's still enjoying themselves. I think we, we move away from that sometimes. We, we become really bogged down with the results and, and, you know, working really hard and training every week. But, you know, ultimately all of our players are, are working nine to five jobs. Rugby is still very much secondary to them. So we've got to make sure that when they turn up on a Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, we're giving them some really positive experiences. We're making things, you know, fun as well as competitive. So from a coaching perspective, I think we've, we've got to make sure that we remain current with what we're doing and, and not forget the you know the sort of values that we're trying to promote. On a personal level, I think the semi-pro environment is one of the great environments because there still has to be an element of love yeah. for a player and a coach to turn up and physically show up. You know, no one's telling them they have to be there. Um, and it's it's but when you're there, you're ready to perform. It's it's all about working hard and really trying to be at the the sharp end. So that semi-pro level just really excites me because it's like you really get the I don't want to say true rugby environment because what what is that? But you get people who who are voting with their feet. They they don't have to be there. They can either turn up or they're not. And it's all about how do you how do you keep those guys coming through the door? Yeah, no, that's that's really important. I think that the players one of their one of their goals between now and the end of the season is is to beat one of the full time professional teams. Whether it'll happen or not is a, is another thing. But I, I think they they've won some games now against other semi professional teams. But we want to make sure that we give ourselves a really good opportunity of of being a bit more consistent with our actions against one of the top teams in the league. Um, I know the players really want to test themselves against the the full time teams just to see. You know, if or how much we have developed, I guess, from that, that Bristol game where we lost by by ninety eight points. And I think it's, it's I think it's safe to say, and I feel it, that there's nothing wrong with wanting to win and really giving everything to win. Like this, particularly this podcast, it's not all about like. Of course, it's environmental, and the byproduct is we play a sport, and we we certainly we want to win. It's if if you don't, it's all right. Maybe we can reflect and we can get better, and there's other measurables. So. I think it's really exciting. I've definitely got a new found appreciation for for Cambridge and yourself and what you're doing. I'm certainly going to be looking out for results, and I've I've no doubt that there's going to be a a good upset down the down the road. And if not, I know internally you'll be working away to see those measurables that you've you've achieved. So, look, I just want to say a massive thank you for your time. I want to say thank you for being so open and and, and sharing some really great golden nuggets there what i know personally i've taken away and it's just been a pleasure having you on for the last hour oh, top man craig really love to to connect tonight really nice to talk about all things coaching and listen to some of your experiences as well and yeah really, really look forward to listening to the, the future ones that you do with other coaches as well and learn a bit from them so thank you